but it looks like the microphone came on just at the right time. <laughs> the Lord must have heard my prayer. Well, it's a, it's a real joy for my wife and, um, and I to, to be here this, um, this week, really, and uh, enjoy our time together with so many uh, brethren at the conference that just came to an end. Um, Sweden holds a very special place for Baptists in Zambia because um, apart from the initial two missionaries that came from Great Britain uh, in 1905 to bring uh, the Christian faith uh, to Zambia in terms of establishing the, the Baptist church, the next team of missionaries that came over were from Sweden. And uh, it was round about 1930. And uh, the history records that the situation in Sweden economically uh, was not good at all. And therefore, the brethren here were certainly not thinking in terms of expanding the borders of God's work. They, they needed all they could to keep God's work going here. But when the appeal finally arrived, they put aside all those thoughts and instead sent uh, missionaries down. And consequently, we've uh, remained grateful to uh, the, the Christians uh, here in, in this uh, country. So it's good for me to come back here uh, almost 100 years later to come and share that same message of the gospel. Please turn with me to Titus <clears throat> chapter 3. I really want to share this same um, blessed news, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which the Apostle Paul preached when he came to Crete to establish the church that was there. And indeed, this same message has been going around the world. It's, it's the message that came from here to Zambia, and it's the message that remains relevant wherever you go in this world. It is the world's most glorious message. And I'll begin reading from verse 1 of uh, Titus chapter 3, and we'll make our way down to verse 8. Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us <clears throat> in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. The words that I have just read to you uh, found in this letter that Paul wrote to Titus, primarily because Paul was concerned that the church that he was leaving behind on this island of Crete should be looked after well. He meant to be the primary teacher for this church, but because of some circumstances that came up in his personal life and ministry, he needed to leave. And so he left Titus behind so that he could ensure that that which Paul would have done in establishing this little colony of faith, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on this island, that Titus would be the one to carry it on to completion. And one of the most important jobs that he needed to do was that of establishing the leadership, the eldership of the church in its various towns. But more than that, Titus was to keep insisting to the people of God that they needed to be different. That the way in which they lived within that society needed to show that they were a transformed people. And it is that which the Apostle Paul takes on right across chapter 2 and into chapter 3. So you notice, for instance, he speaks at the beginning of chapter 2 about the older men. He says there in verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He says about the older women in verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And they are to pass on these values to the younger women who are also in the church. In verse 6, he comes to the younger men and he says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. He's arguing for the fact that Christians must be different, that they must live by a higher moral code. Why is that? 
Well, in verse 11, he gives us the answer, chapter 2 and verse 11. He says, it is because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And by all people there, he doesn't mean each and every human being, but all kinds of people. In other words, old men or old women, young men or young women, slaves or free, it doesn't matter. This salvation has come through the grace of God with transforming effect. He says there, what does it do? Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And the point I want to make, brethren, is that first of all, this is what the Christian faith has done all over the world. The gospel arrives among a people, as we shall see in a few moments, who are steeped in evil, sin, and wickedness. It transforms them from the inside out. And consequently, they live a life that is different from the way they lived before. But I also want to add that we need to insist on this. In any age, anywhere in the world, we must insist on the fact that the gospel of God is the power of God. It changes lives. Well, as Paul enters into chapter 3, that's really what he is about to expound once again. And he begins by insisting that the Christians who make up the church on this island must exhibit a public life that will cause everybody to say, what on earth has happened to these guys? Look at the way he puts it in verse 1 and verse 2 once again. Chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Wow. I wish everybody could be like this. The truth of the matter is this is rare. This is a fruit that only God can produce in people. And that's the joy of anybody who is a preacher of the gospel. Anywhere in the world, it is to see a new people that come out of a moral mess. A people that you cannot just brush away and say they've just been overtaken by some kind of philosophical thinking. You, you can't just brush away lives that are being lived like this. Especially as the Apostle Paul goes on to speak about where these same people 
came from. And we see that in verse 3. In the third verse, Paul says, this is the way we were. We ourselves, he says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That is the natural state in which we all are as we come into this world. This is the description of humanity. The Apostle Paul is saying there that we are what we are not because the environment around us has polluted us, this is the way in which we are born. This is not the fruit of provocation by bad people round about us. This is human depravity 101. That's the way sin has destroyed us. Paul speaks about the fact that it begins with the mind. Being foolish, which is the opposite of being wise. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's a failure to put knowledge to a good end. That's the folly. And the result of this is a life of disobedience. Look at the text. We are so the ones foolish, and then the fruit of it is disobedience. The exact opposite of what Paul had said in verse 1 when he said, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient. The truth is, without the grace of God, the I in the middle of the word sin, S-I-N, that I becomes the little God. I must have my own way. And it doesn't matter whether you are a political figure or a head in my home or educational institution, I am going to rebel until I get what I want. Well, that's the state of human beings, but it is made worse by deception. The Apostle Paul says there that we were once foolish, disobedient, and he uses a phrase, led astray. In other words, we are very quick to accept teachings that seem to rub us in the right direction, that are pointing us to a life of rebellion, a life that says, you are the center of the universe. We are quick to follow after that. And in the end, we are dragged along by that sinful enslavement, taking us in every direction, breaking down human law and order. 
He says they we are led astray or deceived, enslaved to various passions and pleasures. That's the sad reality of the world in which we are. And hence the statement that Paul makes that Titus should be teaching God's people is not what you are going to see in human life and living. He says they, that the God's people are to be ready for every good work. No. The people of the world are ready for every bad work. At the first excuse, they will go after evil and wickedness and sin. Paul goes on to say, therefore, look at the way in which life has become. He says, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Malice being the negative feelings towards other people. Envy being the positive feelings towards what other people have. Not towards other people, but towards what they have. We become magnets. Whatever I see that you have, I want it for myself. Even if it means ripping your brains apart with a bullet. I must get that. And so, community is easily fragmented by them and us. We must not have them in our lives, but we must have what they have in our lives, even if it's at their expense. This, you don't need to have a PhD to see that that's the world in which we live. That's the reason why it is red with blood. That's the reason why husbands and wives fail to get along. That's the reason why children rebel so easily against their parents. That's the reason why there's war right now between Ukraine and Russia, between Israel and Palestine. People ask the question, but why can't we just get along? Simple. Sin. We are all born with that. We need the grace of God. The Bible says, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It's simple and straightforward. Once the root is rotten, don't expect anything good in the fruit. What we need is a power from outside us to change us from the inside. And thankfully, that's the good news of the Christian faith. The Christian faith doesn't say, pull up your socks, come on, get better. It doesn't say, believe in yourself, man. 
You can do better than that. The Christian faith says a savior has come. He's come to change us from the inside out. Without that, we have no good news. But listen to this in verse 5, rather verse 4. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, there it is, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly or generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's try and just unpack that for a moment. The Apostle Paul doesn't say, but when God appeared, because if he did, we would all be scampering for cover. We'd all know we are in serious trouble. Our consciences tell us that we have sinned against this God. I've never forgotten when I grew up when I was still around about the age of five, six, seven, I, I was quite naughty. And often my parents would say, we'll call the police. <laughs> and so to my mind, the sight of a policeman sent the message, I'm done for now, I'm gone. And I've never forgotten one day Coming out of the uh, premises, there was a gate there. And as soon as I walked out, there was a policeman who was having dealings with some guys on a bicycle. And I made a quick U-turn, rushed into the house, into the bedroom, closed the door. <laughs> now that I've grown up, I'm thinking that was just my guilty conscience. And often that's the way we think about God, don't we? That is some judge who is about to send us where we belong. And thankfully, the Apostle Paul precedes God with his goodness. But when the goodness, the loving kindness of God appears, he repeats it in verse 5 when he says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. This is our only hope. It is the fact that the God who created us, the God who governs history, the God who will judge the living and the dead in due season, is also a good God, a loving God, a merciful God, a gracious God. He is one we can go to with that 
stubborn, sinful, rebellious, disobedient heart that's dragging us down to hell. We can go to this same God against whom we have sinned innumerable times. And he can turn us around. That's why he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as savior. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior, appeared, he saved us. He emphasizes the point by saying, not because of righteousness, not because of works done by us in righteousness. The point he's obviously making there is that we have no righteousness to offer him in the first place. So if he was to give that condition to have any dealings with us, we would all be consigned to hell forever. This God comes to save, not by looking at what we have done positively, but by looking at what his own son has done positively, as we shall see in a few moments. But the salvation that he's referring to here, when he says he saved us, is not so much Calvary, we'll get there in a few moments because that's where the Savior finally purchased our salvation. But he's here talking about what he did on the day he transformed us. On that day when he turned us from sinners to saints as we heard earlier on in this service. So he says there, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, here it is, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously or richly. Friends, this is our only hope. It is a complete change, make over from the inside out by the spirit of the living God. The same Holy Spirit by whose power creation came into being is the same one who regenerates, who gives life to the dead because that's what we actually were. God does this purely by his mercy. I love the way in which the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 describes us as human beings before grace visits us. Let's quickly go there. Romans chapter 3 and beginning with verse 9. It's the most 
concentrated section in the whole Bible in terms of the number of quotations from the Old Testament. It's like the Apostle Paul pulls out a machine gun and just blasts away at Jewish self-righteousness. He says that, what then? Are we Jews any better? He says, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. In other words, under the power of sin and under the guilt of sin. As it is written, and here come those bullets from the Old Testament. First of all, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You can't squeeze in somebody else there. It's no one. No one. In case you need to hear it positively, all have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. Back again. No one does good. Not even one. And as though he, he has put us on an operating table, to see whether there is any spiritual life in us. The Apostle Paul begins in the mouth and says, their throat is an open grave. He examines the tongue and he says they use their tongues to deceive. Takes a bit of saliva for examination. And he says, the venom of asps is under their lips. Takes one step backwards to examine the entire mouth. And he says, the mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Or perhaps there might be hope if we uncover the feet. Let's see if there's any hope there. Another passage from scripture says, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery. Or maybe, let's open the eyelids, there might be life. And it says, the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, they are dead. There's need for life to be infused from elsewhere. This guy ain't gonna get up and do anything good. That's really the point. And God knows. That's the reason why salvation is not you trying to do something. Come on. You are dead. Stop trying and simply cry out to God. His life must invade your soul and make you new.
That's the only hope. And that's what Paul is referring to here when he speaks about this washing of renew renewal, washing of regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And that's the reason why the worst offender, the worst sinner can become a Christian. Nobody is beyond hope. Nobody. You can take this message to a self-righteous soul who is seeking to obliterate Christianity from the face of the earth. And it can make him the most loving, sacrificial individual who so loves the Lord that he becomes one of the greatest evangelists that history has ever known by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Where are you this morning? Are you an individual who is so full of anger and bitterness? An individual that parents and friends have given up on already completely. They fear that the next thing they will hear is that the, you are in the hands of the police, locked up permanently. Yes, others can give up on you. Not God. God has the capacity to do a spiritual heart transplant. He can take out of you that heart of stone and put within you a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that will obey him and live a life of wisdom instead of a life of folly. And he can do that today. Not after years of being made religious, but in an instant, through the infusion of life by the almighty spirit. He can do that. Are you an individual whose passions have literally gone astray? That you now live by lust and sexual immorality and try as you might to, to hold yourself back you know that the moment the first temptation comes, you are gone. And consequently, you are destroying your life, destroying your marriage, destroying your family. Here is a salvation that changes from the inside out. That can take away that folly and give you wisdom to enable you to begin to live the kind of life that will rebuild your marriage, rebuild your family life, rebuild your social relationships. When the kindness of God appears through his Holy Spirit to transform you. Why is he able to do this? Well, it is because of what he says 
there at the end of verse 6, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In other words, it's because of what Jesus Christ did when he came on earth and lived a perfectly righteous life, but then finally putting aside his righteousness. He took on his shoulders our wickedness and evil and sin. And consequently went to the cross and paid the full penalty for our sin. God treated him as if he is the very one who has committed all those atrocities. All of them. God poured his wrath upon his own son until he cried, it is finished. Jesus took our place so that we could now take his place freely. His righteousness given to us that God may begin to relate to us just as if we have never sinned. And that's what he goes on to speak about in verse 7 when he says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified. Declared righteous. Can you believe it? Declared righteous. Not by some blinded judge because of some eloquence of a lawyer, but this is the all-knowing God who sees everything about our life who, because of what Jesus has done, places in our records the righteous deeds of Jesus and therefore stamps on the file justified, righteous, based on what our Savior has done. Friends, there can never be better news than that. To imagine that you, with all the sins that you've ever committed, can one day finally appear before his judgment seat with no tremor passing through your being because you are clothed in the perfect righteousness of God's own son. And this is not something that happens to you then. It is something that is given freely to you when you come just as you are. With all your guilt burdening your conscience, you can be declared just by his grace. Well, let's quickly move on because it is with that background that the Apostle Paul goes on to say that you 
who came that way and have experienced this glorious transformation, you should live a different life. Verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you, Titus, to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The point he's making there is obvious. Yes, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You are no longer a bad tree. God has done this glorious transformation from the inside out. He's removed that stony heart, that heart of sin. He's put within you this new heart, a heart renewed by the Spirit of God. Well, show it out. Let the world see that you are now new in Christ. You can't ask for anything better. These are new men and women produced in the factory of grace who are now going out there to live a brand new life. To borrow the earlier words that we read in chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all kinds of people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Let me ask this morning, has this happened to you yet? Are you an individual who can testify that God has visited you in salvation? That once your heart was full of folly and disobedience, Yes, you may have still gone to church. You may have tried reading your Bible and praying, but you know that you were under the clutches of the evil one. Did you then know anything of coming to this Savior at the end of yourself and simply saying, Savior, save me? Left to myself, I will destroy myself, destroy my loved ones, destroy everything around me. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you died. Thank you that you rose again. And something happened to you. Those desires for that which is wrong and sinful and evil, those desires were broken, shattered. And in their place, new desires came up. Completely different. 
There are two young men in our church that are being interviewed for missions work tonight. I was reading the testimony of one of them yesterday who got converted during our youth camp. And he said that when they went back home after the youth camp, his sister asked him to get something for him. And he said, I went and got it. When I came back to give it to her, she said to me, something has happened to you. He said, I asked, how do you know? He said, previously, you would have never, never gone to get something for me. <laughs> he hadn't even realized at that point the great change that the Lord had done in his life. And from that point, his life has been going higher and higher and higher and higher. He's now a married man, now even wanting to become a missionary, to just give his life to serve the Lord. That's what God can do. And I need to appeal as I close that this is the good news that we have as a Christian church. We know that it's not education, it's not politics that's going to bring about the change that can enable a people to love their neighbor as they love themselves. Let alone loving God. But it is this message, the gospel of God, which is the power of God. It's the good news that I bring to you today, even before I leave your country. It's the good news that the people of Sweden brought to my part of the world that has transformed an entire nation. This is the world's best news. If you haven't received it yet, receive it now. If you've already received it, share this good news. It's our world's only hope. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that the message that transformed Crete is the message that transformed Europe. It's a message that has transformed Africa. It's a message that continues to transform lives. Oh God of heaven, even this morning, use this message to transform a life. For Jesus' sake, amen.